Scripture reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, sons of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. This morning, Reverend Gabriel was going to preach to us, transformed by the encounter with Jesus. Very good morning to all my brothers and sisters in Christ and also a blessed new year ahead. Now, uh, I want to thank Brother Mankun for reading the scripture this morning for us. I believe that it is a scripture that all of us, if not, all of, if not most of us, are very familiar with. It talks about Jesus calling his first few disciples, uh, Peter, um, Andrew, James, and also, uh, what's the other one? <laughs> Yeah, anyway, uh, Peter's brother, and Andrew, right, James, and yeah, the four disciples, the first four that Jesus called them. And we are very familiar with the passage, but my prayer this morning is that um, as we look at the same passage again, we will look at it with a learning attitude in our hearts, that we will also be open towards the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we may receive new insights, and not just receiving new um, information or just seeing new things but we also may be able to reflect and apply the truth that we are seeing in our lives in our journey let's um, do a short prayer together Lord our Father I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you and that it may speak your truth into the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The sermon title this morning is Transformed by the Encounter with Jesus. It is also the theme for the Laity Sunday. So it was not decided by myself, but uh, given to us, translated into the English version for the Laity Sunday. Uh, transformed by the Encounter with Jesus. My first question, uh, can we see that transformation in the lives of the disciples in, uh, in Mark chapter 1 verses 16 to 20 this morning? Can you see the drastic transformation that happened? You can, right? They put aside, they cast aside the fish net that they were holding onto when Jesus called them. So there was really a, 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 you know, an obvious transformation that happened in their lives and as I said um, it also prompts us not just to see again Peter Andrew James and John how they responded as the first few disciples but also ourselves as we see how the disciples responded to Jesus uh, ourselves also we can we should take into our hearts our attitude in our discipleship journey before the Lord I, I want to summarize my sermon this morning with the three four movements of uh, discipleship uh, 
Next slide, please. Yeah, the three, four movements of discipleship. The first is the core. The second, detachment. And the third one, the attachment. First of all, the core, we have to examine the core of discipleship. Verse 16, shall we read together? As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, if you know me enough, you, you may, uh, you, you will know that I'm, I, I'm someone who loves watching movies. I, I watch tons of movies in my, in my life. And as an Asian and also a boy, you are almost destined to like a certain genre of movie. You want to make a good guess? What is one of my favourite genre of uh, movies? Kung Fu, right? Action Kung Fu movie. And as I recall, as I was growing up, um, a lot of Kung Fu team movies uh, centered around uh, this kind, that, that kind of uh, era, you know, they, they are, you can almost um, always trace back to the Shaolin Shi, you know, the Shaolin temple monk, uh, the, the fighting and all that, you know. So, um, and I noticed that all these movies, or almost all these movies, they share some common features in terms of their storyline. How so? The main character usually started off being bullied by someone. Uh, if not himself, then must be one of his parents or both his parents killed by somebody, right? Or his wife, or his fiance, or his children. Always started with that kind of uh, uh, very sad setting, uh, the main character. And because of that experience, he would then go about um, dedicating himself, making that, that decision in his heart, I want to be stronger. Uh, I want to grow more, to be more powerful. I want to learn some secret Kung Fu technique so that I can bring down my enemies so that I can be one of the strongest um, throughout the whole world, right? And in most cases, in this journey of trying to learn Kung Fu, this main character usually have to seek out uh, the very powerful, very skillful master, uh, what we call in Chinese, Si Fu, Bai Shi. And that journey itself is usually not that straightforward, isn't it? In most of this plot line, uh, even the master is the, the Sifu, huh? the, the master is in front of that main character. The master usually will have to uh, trial him, you know, have to give some tests, uh, whether to test the physical ability, whether this person is talented. Or it could be a test of dedication, whether he's really dedicated to do, to accomplish what he is seeking for. You know, do you have that dedication? Do you have that commitment? Or are you skillful enough for this task? Usually that is what happened. And so this main character usually have to go through a few rounds of tests, hardship and all that, just to prove himself to be the man. I'm the right man, Sifu. Can you receive me now? Can you accept me now as your um, disciple my brothers and sisters in Christ the reason why I talk about this is that as we compare that with how Jesus recruit his first few disciples is totally different it's the other case unlike in the Shaolin movies where the, the student or the apprentice seek out the master in the case of Jesus it's Jesus himself 
who seek out the disciples. And not just the first four, but subsequently all the disciples, Jesus called them one by one. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Now the word disciples may be familiar to us in this era because we are, um, you know, we are in the, in the church that um, we are familiar with the word, huh? the disciple. We are living in the New Testament. But then in the time of Jesus and of course before Jesus, all the way uh, throughout the Old Testament, the word disciples uh, is non-existence, right? People don't go around calling this is my disciple, that's the disciples of Jesus. That's not what they, they did. Now, in the Jewish community, at the time of Jesus and also before Jesus, the two words, the Hebrew words for disciples are Talmud and also Limud, right? Talmud and Limud. Now, what's Talmud? The usage of Talmud in the Old Testament, one example we can see is when, uh, remember David, right? When, when David, he was doing, he was arranging for this duty roster, so-called, huh? for the temple of God. Uh, of course, that time, the temple of God wasn't uh, built yet. It was built by his son Solomon, but David was the one who arranged everything in preparation, right? Remember that. And so just like this morning, we had the worship team, we had the choir, we had the, the musicians all rostered out. We had Menhun as the liturgies, we have the ashes. Everyone um, is placed you know, at the right place and they know that they should serve. I'm arranged to be the preacher this morning. So David did that for the temple of God, uh, for the worship of God. Right? Let us put it that way. For the worship of God, the duty roster. Among them are the musicians especially. So it was mentioned that the teachers and the students, they are all rostered in. So that is where we get the concept of Talmud, especially referring to musicians who are in training, right? Musicians who are in training. Talmud refers to a student or apprentice in musical instruction. And Limud, the second word, um, is found in books like Isaiah. Where Isaiah say he had a few uh, so-called students, right? The word is Limud. And in this picture that you can see on the slides where students actually gather around a master, that kind of idea, to learn from the master, right? So that's the Hebrew understanding of uh, learning, of teacher and the student relationship. Now, such relationship, I can give you more example. Like, for example, Ezra. We remember Ezra as the chief uh, scribe among all the scribes and also Elijah and Elisha, right? They are the two prophets. Um, one is the master and the other apprentice. And at Jesus' time, there were also the school of Pharisees where Paul graduated from. Paul said he had kept all the rules because he actually graduated from the school of Pharisees. He's very well versed in all the you know, rules of the Pharisees, right? There are some exceptional cases. Why I talk about all this? Because in most of the cases, and even in our time, in this time, the disciples or the students are the one who seek out a good master, not the other way around. If you want to send your children to tuition center, you will ask around who is a good uh, English teacher, who is, who is a, a good tuition teacher for history, you know, subject of history or, or music, stuff like that. Then you will send your children over, right? Am I right? So in this era, and also at the time of Jesus, and before that, in most cases, the students, the disciples, were the one who 
chase after good master. Not the other way around. You don't see like teachers standing at the roundabout. You do see some sort of banner, but you don't see the teacher standing at a shopping mall somewhere giving out banner. Hey, I'm an English teacher. Huh? Uh, recruit students. That's not how it works in our time and that's not how it worked in the time of Jesus and before. So in Jesus' case, it's really very special. Jesus was the one who went all the way out and he seek out his disciples. He called them to be his disciples. Verse 16 tells us that Jesus saw Simon Peter, uh, who is a Simon otherwise known as, known as Peter, and also Andrew, his brother, first. Now, uh, Jesus saw them and he called them and he responded uh, to the call. The point here is that Jesus saw them first. Jesus sought after the disciples and called them to be his disciples. We should, we may take this to be, uh, we may not pay too much attention, but actually we should be amazed by the kind of response that the disciples gave to Jesus. Immediately, you know, the verse after that, we'll look at verse 17 later on. Immediately, they followed Jesus I was imagining if um, myself, you know, one day if I, if I were to walk down the Sea of Galilee and I saw Simon and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net and I called out to them, Hello! Come! I believe they would talk that I want to buy fish from them, you know? Sometimes uh, that's what my mother did uh, <laughs> in the past. Uh, she would saw some fishermen and then called out to them. Hopefully, she can buy some fresh fish from from the fishermen, but that's not uh, it was, you know, the, the, the disciples did not mistaken Jesus to be someone who wanted to buy fish, no uh, they immediately followed Jesus they recognised the authority of Jesus and thus responded to his call immediately, now they may not they may not um, recognise Jesus as the Messiah yet, right they may not have seen the very fact that Jesus is the Son of God they may not know that just yet but what we can see here is that at least they were compelled enough to follow. And I think I'm right to say that. At least they are attracted by Jesus enough to immediately put away their net and to follow Jesus who commanded their attention and who commanded their obedience. Now the question for us here is how about us? How about us, brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you compelled by the Lord Jesus? Are you captivated by His love, captured by His presence in your life? Who is Jesus to you? What is the love of Jesus? What is the sacrifice of Jesus? What is the grace of Jesus to you personally? As you see how Peter and, and how Andrew responded, how James and how John responded. How about you? As you reflect back in your life before, some of us have been Christians for many years, for decades, that first love for Jesus, how was it? You know, was it as captivating, as moving as what the disciples had went through themselves? Now, we don't just respond to any call. We don't just respond to anyone who called us. Um, especially in our world today where telemarketing can be quite um, anno annoying. 
we are worried. Myself also, sometimes I look at the, not, not sometimes, all the times I look at the number and uh, if it starts with like very weird country code, you know, somewhere from Italy, I don't think someone would call me from Italy, you know, <laughs> from UK, I would just, I, I won't pick up, right? From Malaysia, well, it may be a church member, but I didn't register the, the phone number, I would still uh, pick up. But we get worried. We get worried that if we pick up a spam call, then some of the money in our bank may get transferred away, right? It happened these days, right? So we are very um, careful um, to just answer any kind of call. But if you know who is making that call, if you know that person, if that number register, then without doubt, I believe you will just answer the call, right? And to hear what this person has to say or ask you. More so if the person who is making the call is God Himself, right? The God who made the call in our lives. The caller makes all the difference. The call of discipleship tells us that God is the one who calls us, not the other way around. It's not the disciples going around looking for, you know, the, um, looking for God, looking for the way of life. No. They were doing their own business. They were fishing, you know. But Jesus came into their life. Jesus saw them. Jesus, in his mind, he was thinking, you know, they, 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 they can have more, you know, life abundant. God was the one who made the call, not just in the life of the disciples, but also in our lives as the disciples of Jesus. And that call has a clear purpose. It's not just a call to come and follow me, I bring you to go and makan, you know. Jesus did not make the call for nothing, for fun, no. Of course, the disciples, they eat with Jesus, they had fun with Jesus, they enjoy their time with Jesus, but that call had a clear purpose. Mark 1 verse 17, let us read together. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. In other translation, it says, and I will make you, what? Fishers of men, right? So that, that, that call has a clear purpose to become fishers of men. Jesus called us and then He will, He intend to send us, send us out to be fishers of men, to fish for people. That's the purpose of that call. Discipleship is about following Jesus and following Jesus is to become fishers of men. The disciples, they were fishing and so they were fishermen, right? And, and, and it's only reasonable for Jesus to use that kind of metaphor. Uh, you, you used to fish for fish, but now I send you out to fish for people. But not only that, actually what Jesus did here is that He is also making a biblical reference. Okay, a biblical reference to Jeremiah chapter 16 when God said that He is sending out His fishermen. I read for you, right? Verses 16 and 17. But now God said, I will send for many, what? Fishermen. Already in the Old Testament, there was this image of God sending out fishermen. And what uh, is the purpose? Declares the Lord, and they will catch them, catch the people. After that, I will send for many hunters, not just fishermen, but also hunters who look for food, who hunt down, you know, animals. And they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the uh, uh, crevices of the, the rocks. Verse 17, My eyes are on all 
Their ways, they are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. A few weeks ago, we talked about Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in the time of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, lived in the time of the exile, and we know what happened. And God said to Jeremiah that I will restore the nation, but not now. Remember that, right? One day, the nation will be restored. But before that restoration can happen, God had intended these things to happen. In verse 16, this has to uh, have to happen first. God will send out many fishermen to catch the people. Who are these people? The people who had turned their back from, from God. God will send out hunters who, hunt, who will hunt down these people who had turned their back to God. And so what it means here is that God will punish them. God will judge the world. God knows the wickedness of this world and He will not just sit still. He will not just close His eyes. He will judge them. That is the message in the book of Jeremiah. The sins of the world is not hidden. It's not, it's, it's not hidden. It's not concealed from the eyes of God. And, and that image now... Jesus is making a reference back. But in the time of Jesus, as Jesus began his ministry, we all know the veil of New Testament is being lifted up. Jesus is electing his disciples and sending them out to be fishermen who will also hunt down the people, but now with compassion. Right? Jesus looked at them with compassion. These disciples, they are supposed to go out. They will be sent out. And they were sent out to look for people in, who live in darkness and to turn these people, to bring them before God, not so much for judgment now, but so that they would turn and listen to God, so that they would receive the grace of God. They will be turned to God. And my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, today the call has been issued to us. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, if you, if you say that you believe in Jesus, then that call is for you already, has been issued out for you. God is sending you and I as messenger of the gospel of Christ, as bearer of the good news of God's intended purpose for this world to be redeemed. Right? God's idea is not that the world be destroyed. God actually wanted the world to be saved. And God intended that to happen by sending you and I, his disciples, into the world so that the world would have the chance to hear the gospel and be turned back towards him. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the call of discipleship is a call to ministry. I repeat, the call of discipleship is a call to ministry. Whether you like it or not, whether you are aware of not, aware of it or not, a disciple is called to receive abundant life. Right? John 10, 10. I've come that I may have life and um, have it to the full. Right? To receive abundant life. But not just that, a disciple is called to serve as well. To be a fisher, fisher of men. To be fishers of men. The call to follow Jesus is the call to go to heaven. Right? But not just that. We believe in Jesus. We will go to heaven. But that's not everything that Jesus commanded. Right? To be a disciple of Jesus is a call, is to answer the call to serve as well. There should not be any disciples of Jesus who sit around just to come and warm the pew and do nothing. That is not God's intended purpose. God had made clear His call for us to follow Him. And to follow Him means to be His fishers 
of man. That's the first movement um, in discipleship. Uh, the call, right? God made the call. God is the one who called us. And in the word of Jesus, you do not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you so that you may go out and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus said that in John 15 verse 16. The second movement of discipleship is the detachment. Verse 18, shall we read together? At once they left their nets and followed him. The disciples what? At once, immediately, all right? They did not think too much about it. It's like, go, go, eat, eat, right? At once, they left their nets and followed Jesus. The response to the call of discipleship should be immediate. It should be now. It should be immediate. There's no reason to wait. The disciples left their nets. The disciples detach. That's the second movement, right? The word that I use, detachment. The disciples detach themselves from their old way of living in order to follow Jesus. Let's continue to look at some verses first before I uh, explain. Verse 19. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, I don't know how much money, uh, if that's our concern, I don't know how much money the disciples were making before they followed Jesus. You know, When they were fishermen, I don't know how much money they make. But at least for the Zebedees, as we look at the verse, the two verses, right? They were rich enough, their family, now they were doing uh, some sort of family business. And it's not a small scale family. You know, when people say family business, it can mean like just parents and, and, and children, and that's it, right? But in the case of Zebedee, they, were, they, can, they could afford, what? Hired men. They had people, you know, men whom they had hired. And if you only have like two fish, you don't need extra hands. You know what I mean? You don't need extra pairs of hands just to handle a few fishes. That's not the case. The boat must be of a significant size just to feed so many men and to fish the fishes. They must have quite, uh, you know, quite, quite a... How do I put it? Uh, quite a good business, right? To begin with. But the brothers, not the disciples, they left behind their old livelihood, their old tools that they used for, for keeping themselves alive. They forsake behind. They detach themselves behind. They left behind. They put aside all this in order to follow Jesus. Now, not all of us we go through that. Not all of us, we have to go through that in order to follow Jesus. Number one, because the, the, the time, the culture difference, the brothers, they were quite young, I believe, to begin with. So they left behind the family and to follow Jesus. In our world today, we don't have to leave our profession behind in order to follow Jesus. We can continue to be a doctor and be a disciple of Jesus. We can continue to be a lawyer, to be a teacher, to be a pharmacist and also be a disciple of Jesus. Number two, Jesus um, is not physically here. The, the body 
on earth for us to follow him around like the time of Jesus. But even though the time is different, even though the culture is different, but the principle, the rules, the guideline, the not, the, not guideline, the rules and the principles remain the same. What is the message that God wants wants us to know? What is the message? What is the purpose for Mark to capture this for us to see and learn? What is that? The movement of detachment tells us that something must happen when we believe in Jesus. Something must happen when we become the disciple of Jesus. Now, one of the tasks that we gave to the candidates for uh, baptism and confirmation classes, right? So our church members, those of you who have went through that, you know, um, one of the tasks that we gave them, uh, we give them, the candidates, is that they must write a testimony of salvation, which is very easy. Got three parts only, uh, testimony of salvation. Number one, how were you before you became a Christian? How were you? What kind of person were you before you believed in Jesus? Number two, how did you come to believe in Jesus? Was it someone? Was it a gathering? Was it what? Number three, the third part, what changed after you believed in Jesus? What happened to you? What changes happened in your life after you become a Christian? Now, the point is very clear. Something must have happened. Something must happen in your life when you believe in Jesus. There must be something that we ought to cast away as we believe in Jesus. There may be someone even when, where we need to leave behind when we turn to Christ. I'm not, I'm not talking about leaving your wife behind, huh? I'm talking about toxic relationship. For some of us, it may be our bad habits. We have seen things online that we should not see and we are tempted to do so. And we have to, by the grace of God, to detach ourselves from that. The temptation will come. We may still fall in again. But the attitude, the whole projection, the whole momentum of movement is that we move forward with Jesus. We are, we are not supposed to dwell in our sin and enjoy dwelling in our sins. That's not what should happen. For some others, as I mentioned, it may be a toxic relationship, an ungodly relationship that is holding you back from living a godly life before God. And in most cases, it's among young people, if you know what I'm talking about you have to change. Something has to change. For some of us, it could be the very tools that we hold on to for our livelihood. And in, in the case of pastors, it's most um, obvious that we may be, you know, doing some, um, something for livelihood. For example, in my case, I used to work in the IT line. And when I moved into uh, pastoral ministry, I have to leave behind, right? And to leave with whatever... Um, whatever that is provided for me right for some of us um, it is the kind of calling the disciples put behind their nets so that they they can follow Jesus you know as his disciples and 
for some of us, it may be, I want to go back to the relationship part. It may be our family members. And I'm not saying that you should, you should um, you know, break away from them. This is not what I'm saying. But some of us, we are not so, uh, we are born into a non-Christian family. And so the kind of struggle may be stronger for us. Because to believe in Jesus is to go against the will of our parents and they may not be happy about it. And I'm not saying that you should, you should uh, just leave them behind, but I'm saying that you should know that whatever persecution that you are going through, whatever words that they are shouting at you, Jesus knows, right? He already knows that for some of us, we have to go through that. For some of us, as I say, it's a bad habit. It's, a, it's, it's our old uh, livelihood that we used to enjoy. It's our old tools that we used to have. Some of us, yeah, family, that persecute us, we have to go through that in order to serve God in His intended way. We cannot put too much emphasis on material or even spiritual comfort, right? We cannot put too much emphasis on material or even spiritual comfort. Just sit there and just to relax and just hope that our lives is like a bed of roses. That is not a typical, you know, life of a disciple. The first movement of disciple is the call that God Himself issued to us, right? Jesus called us. That's the first thing that must happen. Now, the second movement as we hear the call, what must happen is that we must detach ourselves. The detachment must happen from worldly things. Now, listen carefully. That hinder us from obeying the will of God. We must detach ourselves from anything that hinder us, that stop us from obeying the will of God. The third movement of discipleship is attachment. The attachment to Christ Himself. And the sequence is important. Detachment must happen before attachment. You know, the disciples, they have to give out their nets before they can follow Jesus. They don't grab the nets and, uh, Jesus, I follow you. Huh? You wait for me to carry these nets. Huh? Cannot be, right? The disciples, they gave out their nets to follow Jesus. Now, the question for you this morning, what have you given up in order to follow Jesus? What lifestyle have you put behind you to follow Jesus? What changes had happened in your lives as you follow Jesus? And if your answer is nothing, you know, nothing happened, then either you have to think harder, something must have happened. Otherwise, something is very wrong. You cannot be the same person again. The old is gone, the new has come. You cannot be the same person as you were before you believed in Jesus. If you really love and if you really believe in Jesus. The disciples, remember, they were, they were mesmerized, they were captured, captivated by this person, this Jesus. And they just almost like, you know, they lost their mind. <laughs> left behind the, net, net, uh, the fishing net and just followed Jesus. What about us? I believe that for many of us, we also had that kind of relationship. We, we felt the love of God. Our tears 
went rolled down our cheeks. Remember then? But for many of us, it has been too long since we really fall in love with Jesus. We have to come back and ask ourselves, you know, do, am I still in love with Jesus? Am I crazily in love with Jesus? Otherwise, Jesus is like just one of the many things that we pick up along the way. You know, like our, our cars, our love for our work, and even people. You know, Jesus is just one of them that we pick up along the way. Detachment must happen before attachment can be. Otherwise, our attachment with Jesus will not be intimate and will not be close. My eldest daughter, she's um, five years old this year. A few years ago, uh, many, not many, many, but many years ago, uh, when she began to learn how to eat solid food, you know, babies, they grow, huh? they drink milk, then after that, they begin to learn how to eat solid food. My wife bought um, a portable uh, chair, dining chair for, for our daughter. It looks exactly like the one I, I put up here for you. And so that was, that was before pandemic hit us, right? So what happened is that every time we go out, we will bring along this chair and we will sit my, my daughter inside the chair and uh, she will eat her whatever that is put on the table and she will just enjoy the meal. And my wife and I, we just eat our own things, right? So we had uh, fun, we had a good time doing that. But then pandemic hit us. And so this chair is of not much of use outside. So what happened is that, you know, we can't bring her out anywhere. Can't, so the chair, we just keep at home. What happened is that I just detached the, um, the, the tabletop, the white tabletop, as you can see in the, in the picture. And I put it aside. And I put this chair itself, just the chair without the table, on an adult chair. And I put my daughter on the chair so that she can eat together with us. Her food will be uh, on the plate, put on the same adult uh, table, dining table that we use, right? So that happened. Many months later, uh, for, for some reason, I forgot why already, but I needed to, um, you know, put the, to attach back the tabletop onto the dining uh, uh, chair, right? This chair. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I was like, what happened? We didn't bring this chair out. It was there all this time. My daughter would eat on it and we will clean the chair, you know. Is it of the weather or is it something have spoiled, you know? How come? The, the, it just won't fit, you know? The tabletop just won't fit inside. I checked the direction of the clip. I, I checked everything. Um, I couldn't find out the reason. And so, I asked my wife to come because my wife got this supernatural gift, you know? She can solve the issue that I cannot solve. And, and I, I don't mean it in a, in a sarcastic way. I really mean it. Yeah, she's better than me in some of these technical things, right? So my wife came and so she had a good look at the, tab uh, at the, at the chair and the tabletop and everything. After a thorough investigation, huh, she looked very closely because men sometimes, uh, you don't even know whether your wife cut her hair or not. But anyway, my wife found this um, dried rice stuck in, in this little opening. It's really very little uh, the, where the number is. Huh? So that's where the... The click goes in on the little opening. She found a few grains of dried rice. So yeah, what happened is that when my daughter was eating at her chair, some of this rice must have dropped into this little opening. And it was too small that our hands 
can't even go in. So we didn't take note, note of solar because the, the was, it was deep and it was little, right? A very, 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 um, yeah, very small gap, little gap. We always clean the chair. Uh, we are not, um, yeah, <laughs> we are not that lazy. <laughs> we always clean the chair, but we, we didn't even notice uh, to, yeah, there were rice that, that dropped into that little gap. So they were left there, the rice uh, dried and alone. From the outside, you can't tell, right? From the outside, nothing seems to change. We moved from meals to meals until one day when we decided to attach the tabletop back and we realized that it's no longer com, com, compa- what was the word again? compatible, right? Compa- compatible with the chair. So at the end, what happened is that my wife patiently used a toothpick because it was very, as I said, a little gap. So my wife used a toothpick to remove the rice. And guess what? Right after that, easily went in. The tabletop attached nicely, closely with the dining chair. And you get what I'm trying to say. This is a picture of our spiritual life, my friends. If there are are things that we should have detached, we should have removed, yet we don't, then our attachment to Jesus is affected. You know, from the outside, every one of us looks exactly as handsome as me, (laughs) as beautiful as my wife, the ladies. From the outside, all of us, we look like, you know, we we are on top of the, uh, on, on cloud nine, our families are happy, um, our works are filled with joy, you know, we celebrate Chinese New Year, uh, we look, look forward to, everything is like, okay, you know, everything looks normal. But if you were to be honest with yourself, if you ask the Holy Spirit to come, if you dare to ask, to come and scrutinize your heart, the things that others can't see, the hurts, that you have been keeping to yourself and God knows the Holy Spirit to scrutinize your heart there may be little little cracks here and there it may be an agony it may be your pride it may be a delusional it may be indifference you just don't care and this is not what God has intended you to be God Jesus did not, did not call you so that you can be indifferent, you know. Jesus did not call you so that you can just feel nothing about Him and others. And these things deter our full attachment to, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though you can't see it, but it's there, you may feel it, you may notice it, your spouse may know or may not know. We have to ask for God to heal us. We have to ask for God to help us to get rid of this hurt and to get rid of these sins in your life. The detachment must happen, as I say, so that the attachment can come. I'm coming to the end of my sermon. This morning, I want to extend an invitation. I want to pray for two groups of uh, people among us. The first one, the first group is to those of you who are not sure whether you have fully put your trust in Jesus. You're not sure whether Jesus is the Saviour and the Lord of your life. 
You know, you may have come and attend Sunday service um, because someone invited you, or maybe your parents met you come here, especially the youths. But this morning, if you understand the message that comes straight from the Bible, Jesus calling his disciples, I want to say to you that Jesus is calling you to be his disciples. Because our Father loves you, right? Father in heaven loves you. And he sent fishermen who has come before you to come and fish for you, just so that you will come before the Lord and to turn your back uh, back to Him, right? Turn yourself back to Him. And so the first invitation is for those of you who are not sure whether um, you have Jesus as your Saviour, right? The second invitation later on, I also want to invite those of you um, to, to respond. And this second group of people, you have been, you would call yourself Christians, maybe for a few years, for, for decades, and you already ah, you know, um, you're very clear that you're a follower of Jesus. But the thing is that in your life, there are, there are cracks. There are things that you may have wanted very much to get rid of, but you just couldn't. You know? And the fight that we are fighting, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is not a fight based on flesh and blood. Right? It's, a fight, it's a spiritual warfare. Um, and we cannot just fight with our own will. And so I want to invite you to respond later on. This second group of people, you say, you want, you, you say that you, know, you want to detach yourself from the things that are holding on to you and they are stopping you, they are hindering you from going for a full attachment with the Lord Jesus. You may love Jesus, but your love has faded along the years and you want to have that again. You are reminded again of that joy, of the peace of the love this morning and you want to respond you want to have that and I'm going to pray for you right so um, with all heads bowed down with all eyes closed we don't look around and, and see whether you know who raised their hands that's not what we want to do alright I want to extend the invitation as I say to the first group of people you are not sure before today whether you are really a Christian or not whether you really have Jesus as the Lord and Saviour and this morning you want to be sure you want to be very sure that yes, Lord Jesus, I want to have you because you love me, because you call out to me, because God the Father loves me and call out to me and so I want to respond. I invite you to raise your hands and to put down, right? Just to raise up your hands and put them down so that I can pray for you, right? Any one of you, you want to respond this, to this call to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Just raise out your hands. I won't wait for too long because I will move on. So if you are uh, of this group, just raise out your hands and put down that I may pray for you. The second group of people, as I say, most of us, we would identify ourselves as the disciple of Jesus. We would call ourselves Christians. But what kind? What kind of Christians are we? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to tell you that Jesus is worthy. Right? Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of your life. Jesus is worthy of your faith. Jesus is worthy of all the sacrifices that you have made and that you are making for Him. There isn't anyone in this world who can offer anything better than Jesus. And so, Myself included, I, I, I know that in this journey of discipleship, there will be pain, 
there will be struggles, there will be things that we wish we can conquer but we just can't because we, we always fall down to the, at the same place and we fall and felt for the same thing over and over again. But nonetheless, I just want to pray that your love for Jesus will increase. And as your love of Jesus increase, that urge, that, that empowerment to detach from all these things that are holding you back will also increase then the attachment can happen. And so if you are from this group and if you would like to respond, no pressure, just raise out your hands and put them down. I want to pray for you. Just raise out your hands and put them down. I want to pray for you. I want to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know our condition. You know our hearts. You know the conversations that we have with our spouses, with our children. You know the agony in our hearts, the pride that we don't want to confess. You know the sins that are holding us back, Lord, from a deeper intimacy with you. Lord, I'm not attached from that struggle. The example of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus tells us that, Lord, you understand because the Lord Jesus walked through 30 over years of life uh, on this earth and He gave, uh, gave out His life for our lives, Lord. And so, Lord, you know our struggle, our very thoughts, our very condition that we are in. And, Lord, in you, nothing is impossible. And so, Lord, I pray, especially for my brothers and sisters in Christ who have made that dedication, Lord, who have raised out their hands. And even those who wanted to raise their hands but they hesitate, Lord, I, I, I just pray for your mercy over them as well. Lord, I pray that you will give us new love for you. Lord, our, our faith we have but very little. Our love we have but very little, Lord. We struggle to love you. And so, Lord, we pray that you multiply that your Holy Spirit do wonders, change our hearts, remove our heart made of iron and replace it with a heart of flesh that beats for you. Oh Lord Jesus, the call has been made. The detachment must happen so that the attachment will be close and intimate. Thank you, Lord, for, for speaking your truth into this. I pray for power from the Holy Spirit for your children whom you love dearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.